Thank you both. All right, just give me a few seconds here to set up. This whole big pulpit, I better make the best use of it. All right, well, I hope everybody had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Hopefully there wasn't too much family drama. Hopefully it was just a a time of celebration and a time of giving thanks and remembering who and what we're thankful for. So I just want to give a a quick thank you to the elders, to the church, um, for for your patience and for your love and your encouragement. I shared a little bit at the Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, the Thanksgiving Eve service, um, and if you were there, what an encouraging time of, of testimonies it was. And I just want to say thank you for, for giving me a little bit of a break from, from pulpit ministry. I haven't been behind the pulpit preaching since begin, beginning of August. So it's been a few months, and uh, I, I told the elders I want to come back and I want to have a theme. I want to, I want to preach through something consistently. And I thought, man, I think Advent would be a perfect time to do that. It'll give me a lot of time to prep and plan ahead. And honestly, I didn't do any prepping or planning ahead like I wanted to do. So, but I'm still going to be here for Advent season behind the pulpit. But again, thank you elders for your patience. Thank you church for letting me take some time to be with my, my family as we have almost a four-month-old baby now. Time is flying, holy cow. Um, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And as you're turning there... I want to encourage you, does anybody want or need a, I've got to cover my answer, I don't want you to cheat. Does anybody want or need a sermon outline? It'll help with note taking, hopefully it'll make things, it'll help you, not harm you. It'll make things seem a little bit more organized. If you want that, you can raise your hand. i got Matt who will hand deliver it to you for no charge at all. So John chapter 8, as we're in this Advent season, and as we're going to be looking in the next five weeks in the Advent season, the theme I want to go through are the I am statements of Jesus, which are found exclusively, uh, Matt, we got one more who wants notes up here, or two more maybe. Which The I am statements of Jesus are found exclusively in John's Gospel. And these are claims that Jesus has made about himself. These are not people talking about Jesus. They're not people who, have, who are making a list and saying, okay, I think Jesus was like this, I think he's like that. These are personal statements that Jesus spoke in the in the you know, first person, I am. It's not my words this morning. These are Jesus' words. These are his self-claims about who he says he is. So if you know the I am statements, there's seven or eight, depending on if you want to count one or not count one. So throughout John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And then I like counting this one, so I'm going to say there's eight. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you're looking or thinking, man, there's seven I am statements or eight, and there's only five weeks of Advent, so I'm going to choose some that hopefully will fit in with the theme of Advent. But the purpose of each one of these claims, Jesus is crystal clear. He's not confusing his words. He's not, he didn't make any sort of mistake or say, oops, I probably shouldn't have said that. That's not really what I meant. The purpose of these I am statements is to simply, Jesus is claiming, I am God. 
He's claiming who He is, that He is deity, He is divine, He is God. And also through each of these I Am statements, we learn an important truth about Jesus, about His characteristics. So when He says, I am the bread of life, He's not literally thinking, I'm bread. Here, here you want a little bite of me? Yeah, here, eat that. He's not literally claiming to be a door. But each one of those symbols or metaphors relate to a person of His character, or, or I would say a, a characteristic of who Jesus is. So again, this morning, our Advent theme is hope. And I'm starting with the second I am statement of Jesus, where he says, I am the light of the world. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 8, before we read it, I want to share just a quick story. So that was the groundwork of where we'll be in the next couple of weeks. So this morning, I want to introduce you to somebody who's here this morning, who many years ago, about 20 plus years ago, they saved my life. They saved my life. My family and I were camping and we were at the beach at a bonfire, and then my mom and I wanted to leave early. So we were heading back to our campsite, and we didn't realize that the further and further away we got from the bonfire, the darker and darker it got. And the sun was setting, and I'm looking at my mom, and she's being frantic, and she's, she's probably thinking, we're not going to make it. We're going to be stranded in the dark, we're going to stumble, we're going to get lost, we're going to get eaten by, by deer or whatever's out there. We're not going to make it back to the campsite. And then I said, wait, Mom, I have something. So this morning, I want to introduce you to Sharky. Little Sharky here saved my life. Now I'm going to open up his mouth. Be careful, it might be really bright. Is it working? Right? This is the actual flashlight from 20 plus years ago that saved my mom and I's life. We saved it because of the funny story attached. And I'm exaggerating that story a little bit. But in all honesty, this little flashlight, this little like dinky plastic toy provided just enough light. Like even if I shine it here, I can't see a thing. But it provided us just enough, enough light in the darkness, just enough hope to make it back to our campsite safely without tripping over logs or sticks and getting off of the trail and getting lost. So I just shared with you a very important piece of my history. This is little Sharky. And if you want to see him after service, I'll, I'll let you see him. But... You might be saying, you know, why am I sharing that story? Again, I am the light of the world. Jesus is making a claim to be the light in a dark world. So John chapter 8, we'll start at verse 12. Let's read it together. This is Jesus saying, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to Jesus, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Verse 16, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true for it is not I alone who judge but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one that bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to Jesus, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we know your word is true. 
We thank You for the encouragement and the hope that we can find in Your words. I pray, Lord, this morning that You guide me as I preach Your Word. You protect what comes out of my mouth, that I'm uh, being led by the Holy Spirit. God, I just pray that we can set distractions aside for just these few moments to focus on who You claim to be. That You are God and You are the light of the world. So Jesus, I just pray that You bless our time together, that You alone get the glory, that You alone get the honor and worship. And in Your name we pray. Amen. If you have your notes, you'll look at, I, I labeled it point 1A and 1B. So point 1A, I want to be crystal clear here. Jesus' claim in verse 12 is He's claiming to be light. Light. I am the light of the world. Now letter A under 1A, I know it could get confusing here, when Jesus is claiming to be the light, he's claiming two things. He's claiming that he is God. And you might say, David, how did you stretch it from, from Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, to then saying, I am God? I'm, I'm so glad you asked. I'll, I'll, share your, I'll share with you. In the Greek, if you know anything about Greek, I don't, so I did some studying this week. There's a phrase that Jesus uses with each I am statement found in John. He uses this Greek phrase, ego emi which literally translates to I am, I am. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the better translation is, I am, I am the light of the world. When he says, I am the bread of life, it's I am, I am the bread of the life. I am, I am the true vine. Ego, emi. Every statement in John's Gospel, every I am statement that we're looking at, Jesus structured that sentence that way. And that's very, very important. Because when you look into the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we find in Exodus chapter 3, what's the name that God reveals himself to be to Moses? Right? God appears to Moses by a burning bush, and he calls Moses to go and free his people, free the Israelites from Pharaoh. And then Moses said to God, Exodus chapter 3, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What's his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses is like, God, what's your name? What do I tell the Israelites? What do I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Ego, uh, ego, emi. I am, I am. Now Jesus is using the same name of God that's found in the Old Testament to now describe who he is in the New Testament. Ego, emi. I am who I am. I am, I am. And when God is saying that, when He reveals Himself as I am, right? we're saying the great I am this morning. When God is making that claim and He's calling Himself that, what God is saying is I am self-sufficient. I rely on nobody. I'm self-existent. I'm self-sustaining. I have no needs outside of myself. And everything is dependent on me. Nothing defines me Rather, I define everything. So God, who are you? I am who I am. Ego, emi. And that's what Jesus is claiming when He says, I am the light of the world. I am, I am the light of the world. In letter B, we also have when Jesus claims to be light, He's also claiming to be Savior. He's claiming to be Savior. When Jesus claims to be the light of the world, it's implying that the world is in darkness, that it needs a light to follow. And Jesus is saying, I'm that light. Follow me. 
And it's funny, I did a little bit of studying of, of the difference between light and darkness found in the Old Testament, found in the New Testament. That could be like a, a year-long sermon series, to be honest with you. There's so much to unpack. But just a, a, a little glimpse of what I looked at. In the Old Testament, light was understood as either a metaphor, a symbol, an image of a few things. Of God and His glory. Of goodness or good things. Of heavenly things. And also speaking of the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. So we see light as God in His glory. If you remember, as God is leading the Israelites through the wilderness, they're following what? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's guiding them by light so that they can follow God either day or night. Whenever God leads them, the Israelites were following. Also, in Exodus 34, there's a story about how Moses is talking to God on the mountaintop, and he asks God, God, can I see your glory? Can I see you? And God says, you can't see me because you'll die. I'm that glorified. I'm, that, I'm full of that much glory. It'll kill you. So what God does is he reveals a glimpse of his glory to Moses. Moses comes down from the mountain, and the people are like, oh, Moses, like, cover your face. It's so bright. It hurts to look at. So Moses' face reflected the light of God's glory, just as the moon reflects the sun's light. Moses was reflecting God's glory to the people of Israel by his face. They actually had to cover his face because it was too bright for them to look at. So we see that light is a symbol of God and His goodness or His glory in the Old Testament. There's another analogy throughout the Old Testament that light is a metaphor for good things or goodness, heavenly things. The Bible starts off in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in the beginning, what was there? Darkness, void, emptiness. Verse 3, God said, the first command, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. The book of Psalms is all, has a ton of verses about light. In Psalm 27, the author links, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He links light and life or salvation. Light and life. Psalm 119, it says, the unfolding of your words, God, gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So light also reveals. In Micah 7, 8, it says, Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Ecclesiastes 2, 13, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, or wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. So in the Old Testament, light reveals God, His glory. It's also used as metaphors of goodness or good things like you want to be in the light. You don't want to be in the darkness. And then light is also associated with the coming Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read these verses this morning. I think we can all say this one from memory, but I'll read it. It says, For to us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? But a few verses before that, and we also read it, it says that the people walked where? In darkness. Isaiah 9, chapter, uh, verse 2. The people walked in darkness and have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. Now we fast forward now to the New Testament. There's been 400 years of silence. 
God stopped using the prophets to speak to the people, the nation of Israel. There's been 400 years of silence. And then John the Baptist enters the scene. As Mark read earlier, he is bearing witness of the true light that's coming to give light to everybody in the world. In Matthew chapter 4, it's funny, in the beginning of most Gospels except for Mark, as Jesus is starting his ministry, starting his life, it reveals and there's metaphors of light and darkness. In Matthew chapter 4, Matthew quotes from this prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, as public ministry, Matthew says, as he's doing that, he's fulfilling the prophecy of being the light to the darkness. In Luke chapter 2, we're introduced to someone named Simeon. He's a, a righteous and devout man. It's actually revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that it says, Simeon, you will not die until you see the Savior, until you see the Messiah. And then we read that Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, and Simeon takes Jesus and says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now don't, don't get lost right here. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So for the Jews, when Jesus is claiming to be the light, to be light, they understand light is associated with goodness, with God, with His glory, with the coming Messiah, and that darkness is associated with pain, with suffering, with judgment, with evilness, with death, and with sin. So as Jesus is claiming to be the light, he's claiming to be God, he's claiming to be Savior. Now letter, or I should say number 1B, Jesus' claim in verse 12, he also claims what? To bring life. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus is making this claim that if we follow him, He's inviting, follow me. If you follow me, you will no longer be stumbling in the darkness. You will no longer be in that domain and in that kingdom. But he promises what? Life. He promises light and to bring life. And Jesus can make that claim. He can make that promise. He can make that offer because he is God and he is Savior. In the New Testament, I have a few verses. I was going to have some people read them, but I figured it would be a little bit quicker if I just gave you a summary. In Ephesians chapter 5, you can jot these down and look at them later. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses light and dark metaphors. He says that before we were in Christ, before we followed Jesus, we were in darkness. But now that we're in Christ, we're where? We're in the light. In Colossians 1.13, it says that we've been transferred from the dominion or the kingdom of darkness, and if we're in Christ, He's transferred us from there to where? To the kingdom or domain of light. In 2 Corinthians, Paul also says that believers are in the light and unbelievers are in the darkness. In Acts 26, at the end of Acts, Paul is recounting when he, had, when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, to King Agrippa, he's giving his testimony, he's giving his account, which interestingly enough, Jesus reveals how to Saul as light, as bright light. It blinds him. But he says to King Agrippa that this is what Jesus said to him. He says, Paul, you're going to open the Gentiles' eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, 
so that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And you might think it's, okay, that's enough verses on light and dark, but I'm trying to make a point here. God's Word is clear. When we follow Jesus, according to His Word, where are we? We are in the light of life. And if we're not in Christ, if we're not following Him, where are we? We're in the kingdom of darkness. We're following Satan and the evilness. Again, it's, it's crystal clear, light and dark. In John's Gospel, as we get to John chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but, but Jesus is speaking, and this is what He says. He says, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And as I read that, I'm like, man, how could people freely choose the darkness when the light of the world is right there with them? Like, I'm like, is Jesus exaggerating? Not, maybe that's just, he's making a bold claim here. But it's funny, in these verses that we read in John chapter 8, we see the Pharisees responding in this way. That the Pharisees are rejecting Jesus' claim. And it brings me to point number two. We see the response or the aftermath of Jesus' claim when he says, I am the light of the world. We have now an, an exchange of dialogue between the Pharisees and Jesus. So I'll read the verse by verse. We'll go through them slowly together here. We see the Pharisees' rejection in verse 13. They say to him, the Pharisees said to him, Jesus, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony, it's not true. And what do they call it? They're calling Jesus a liar. They're saying, Jesus, no, 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 listen, Jesus, you, you are not the light of the world. You never will be. You can't make that claim. How dare you? You're not God. You're not Messiah. You are not I am, I am. How dare you say that? Your testimony is not true because you're just talking about yourself. You're making a self-claim, and that's not true. And then we see, well, or just looking in John's Gospel, it's funny, the more you study Jesus and, and the crowds, you see that people flocked to Jesus. He wasn't like this nobody who would just sort of like, he would be in the temple preaching and people were like, who is that? Oh, I don't know who that guy is. Let's go over here and listen to this rabbi instead. People knew who Jesus was. Even in John's Gospel, just looking at it, the first eight chapters, we see Jesus doing some pretty amazing things. What he does is he turns water into wine. That's the first miracle he does. He heals an official son by just speaking. He publicly heals a lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And then before this, he feeds a crowd of 5,000 people by multiplying food. And that crowd of 5,000, they saw that miracle and it says they wanted to make him king. And because of that, and we'll talk about this next week, Jesus actually, he went away from the crowd because he was not, that was not his mission. So we see that Jesus, based on some miracles that he did alone, right? he's making this claim not as a nobody, but as someone who's, who's famous, as a famous rabbi, as someone who's, who, as Jesus is going from place to place, the supernatural's following him. Divine things are happening. Miracles are happening. People are getting healed. And we see the Pharisees' rejection of Jesus' claim. Jesus, you can't claim that. You're a liar. And then we see Jesus' defense in the next four verses. This is how Jesus answers them. He says, Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, You don't know me. You don't know where I've come from, that I've come from heaven, and you don't know where I'm going to, which is 
back to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. You don't know who I am and where I came from and where I'm going. And if you did, then you know I can make this claim. We also see in verse 15, he says this, You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And I don't want to skip over this because if you read that, you could think, man, this might be a contradiction. Jesus is saying he judges no one, but we also know from Scripture that he does judge. There is a great judgment that is coming. And I looked at uh, commentators and I looked at uh, or listened to sermons and and people preaching it, and there's multiple ways that that you can look at this. Jesus was either saying, you Pharisees, I don't judge according to the same standard that you judge, which is what? Fleshly which is the outward, which is how people are acting publicly. I don't judge that way at all. Or, and this is the more believed what Jesus actually meant, was he saying, I judge no one yet. If you know about Jesus and his first coming, his mission was what? To bring salvation. And we know from his second coming that what? It's to bring judgment, that every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And if you don't believe me, John 3.16, I think we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But what's the next verse after that? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, he might, or that, in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus' first mission was that of salvation to bring the good news, to be the light in the darkness, to die on the cross, to bring salvation. But we know in Jesus' second coming, He's coming as the Lion of Judah. As He came as the sacrificial Lamb who was slain, He is returning as the Lion of Judah. Right, so Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. You Pharisees judge outwardly. I judge no one. Verse 16. Yet even if I do judge, this is Jesus speaking still, my judgment is true, For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. And what Jesus is claiming right there, he's claiming oneness with God. That as Jesus stands, and and even if he does bring judgment and profess judgment, that God the Father stands together with Jesus at judgment. That as, as Jesus is judging, God is agreeing, and there's perfect harmony and unity, because why? Jesus is one. Jesus is God. There's oneness with God. He says, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. Why? Because God the Father stands with me. I'm equal with him. When I pronounce judgment, God is in agreement on that judgment. And then the next verse, 17 and 18, Jesus says, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. So the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, Jesus, you can't make that claim about yourself because you alone are bearing witness of yourself. And now Jesus is saying on the Mosaic law, which was God given to the, to the Israelites, that the testimony of two people, in order for something to be true, there had to be testimony of two witnesses uh, with, with the same story for something to be true. And now Jesus is saying, according to your law, which is that there needs to be two witnesses, in verse 18 he fulfills it. He says this, I am the one who bears witness about myself. That's witness one. And two, the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So even according to their law, Jesus is saying, you can't hold anything against this claim. So Jesus' defense, to wrap it up, he says to the Pharisees, I know who I am. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. You don't know me. He says, 
I'm one with God. God stands with me in my judgment. And then the second thing is, even in the man's, the God-given law to man, my testimony has two witnesses and it stands true. And then we see the Pharisees' attack. Verse 19, we'll keep going here. The Pharisees said to Jesus, therefore, where is your father? And when I first read that, I'm like, man, how could these Pharisees be so like thick-skulled? They're still thinking in earthly terms. Right? When Jesus keeps saying Father, they're not thinking heavenly, they're thinking earthly. And as I studied this phrase more and more, there's something that was revealed as, as, I, as I listened to some sermons, and actually it was R.C. Sproul who pointed, no, it was Steve Lawson who pointed out in a sermon. The Pharisees are taking a cheap shot at Jesus right here. They're saying, Jesus, you claim that your father is your witness. Where's your father, Jesus? Where is he? At this time, it's believed that Joseph is dead, and it's also public knowledge that that uh, Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, that Mary was his mother, but, but no one knows who Jesus' father was. Right, so the Pharisees are taking this cheap shot on Jesus, saying, okay, Jesus, you claim that your father's your witness. Well, where, where is he? We'd love to see him. Right, they're attacking his character. And if you look a little bit further in the same chapter, John chapter 8, in verse 41, Jesus says, you're doing the works that your father did. He's talking to the Pharisees. And then they say to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, Jesus. We have one father. So even right there, it's public knowledge that they're taking this cheap shot at Jesus. Jesus, where's your father? We'd love to meet him. Oh, wait, that's right. No one knows who your father is. Right? But they're not thinking heavenly. They're thinking earthly. And they're attacking Jesus in front of all these people. And then it gets to verse, or the second part of verse 19 we see here. Jesus' response to this cheap shot is what? You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Jesus tells them, you don't know God. Why? Because you don't know me. He's treating the Pharisees as unbelievers. And in Jesus' day, you wouldn't dare do that to a Pharisee. If you took a poll of the Jewish people and said, and you asked them, uh, to, to the Jews, who do you think God is the most pleased with in society? Who do you think God loves the most? I guarantee the, fa- the, the, the Jewish people would probably say, well, I think the Pharisees. Look how righteous they are. Look how good they are. Look how much they love God's word. They memorize it. They study it. They teach it. Look at them living it out in the temple. Look how good they are. And Jesus is saying, you don't know God. You can't know God. Why? Because you don't know me. You don't know me. I love that Jesus stays anchored in his truth. As the Pharisees give him a cheap shot, he doesn't give one of them back. He speaks truth to them. You don't know God. You're unbelievers. And I think this is important for us to know nowadays. It all comes down to this question, who is Jesus? Right? Jesus says, if you don't know me, you can't know God. And as a, this past year, as in the youth group, we were studying different religions and how they relate to, to Christianity. And we we're focusing mainly on, on Christianity. But we looked at even Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness, which it all boils down to the question of who Jesus is. Do you believe that Jesus was a created being that God created? Jehovah's Witness believe that. Do you believe that Jesus is Lucifer's brother? Mormons believe that. As Christians, we don't believe that. We believe that Jesus is eternal God. As Mark read John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's important because nowadays it all boils back to who is Jesus? People want God without Jesus. 
they say, well, why can't I just believe in an eternal being and, and just think that Jesus was like a good teacher? I don't, I, the whole cross thing, the whole, the whole being God and, and the Son of God, I don't, I don't know, it's not for me. I believe in, in God. Jesus is saying, you can't do that. You can't know God without knowing me. That's what he's claiming to the Pharisees. And now we get to the last verse. And point three. We get the context of Jesus' claim. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Usually a good preacher will give you the context in the beginning because context is key. Without context, you can take any verse and twist it and morph it into what you want it to be. So when we read God's word, context is important. And I purposely saved it for the end because I think it adds to the power and the boldness of Jesus' claim to be the light. Let me just share with you a little bit of the context. Jesus is saying this during a big festival. It's the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles. And that's the first letter, letter A under uh, number three. In John chapter 7, we learn that Jesus was in the temple during this feast and, and even it extends to John chapter 8 into verse 12. And he makes this claim while he's in the temple preaching on the last day of the seven-day festival. Now what this festival was, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a reminder or a celebration of how God cared for the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. As they were nomadic and set up temporary shelters, the people set up temporary shelters during this festival. So, so for a week straight, families either on their rooftops or where they could, they would make their own um, it was almost like, like ancient camping at the time. They'd make this, this temporary shelter and live in it. And in the temple, there was celebration. There was feast. There was happiness. There was joy. Now, one pastor in particular said that it was believed at this point that the people cared more about the festival than actually what it stood for. They're following, really, the, having it for the tradition and for the joy, but really forgetting why they were doing it. And, and I was like, okay, that might be a, a something to think about, but I don't really want to focus on that too much. But it's important to look at that during this time, it's the last day, and during this week, letter B, you see that um, in verse 20, he spoke these words in the treasury. If you have your notes, if maybe you looked at it already, turn it, turn it around. This is a very simplistic, and, and I tried to make it as least confusing as possible. This is a drawing I made of the, of the temple in Jesus' day. And as I was studying the temple, which I really knew little about, it was really amazing to look at 3D models and, and looking at uh, uh, like where Jesus healed people according to places in the temple. So we have on the outside, we have the Gentiles' court. Now this is the place, this was the furthest place that Gentile people could go to. They actually couldn't go into the temple, but they could stand in the court on the outside, like the, like the, the temple yard, and look at it. Then you have on the first level, you have the, or the first um, I would say court, you have the court of women. And this is where Jesus is making this claim. It was, this is where tre the treasury were, or the treasury was. This is where offerings and tithes would be given. They'd have these deposit boxes all in the court of women. This was the furthest place that a Jewish woman can go in the temple to worship. And, and you look at the corner, there are four dots, one in each corner. There are these huge, huge pillars, huge pillars in each corner, and then you have stairs that lead up. Those little half-circle things are stairs. I know, it's a little rough drawing. Uh, and that leads to the court of Israel or the court of men. That's the furthest that men, Jewish men, can go in the temple. 
And then the next level of, 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 I guess, authority would be the court of priests where the priest could go. And then that little box, you have the altar. And then you have the main temple, the holy place, the most holy place. So looking at this diagram, Jesus is in the court of women. Throughout the morning, during this week, there was a morning ritual. The priest would go to the pool of Siloam, which was outside the temple. They'd carry this water through the court of Gentiles, through the court of women, up the stairs, through the court of men, and they'd pour it out on the western side of that brazen altar for everybody to see as a remembrance of how God took care of Israel by providing them water during the wandering in the wilderness. And then at night, so during this, this festival of booths or tabernacles, at night, the priest would light these four huge pillars that were in the corner of the court of women. And it was a reminder of how God led the Israelites by what? A pillar of fire through the wilderness. And it was also believed and, and said that these lights would illuminate the whole city. That when these lights were lit, there was no darkness. That people saw it, it was spectacular, and you knew what it was. There was no hiding from this, from this light. And it was believed, every, commenta- every commentator I looked at, it was believed that Jesus declared to be the light of the world on the final day of this festival as they put out those flames in the court of women. And I thought, man, what a bold claim. As, as they're putting out those flames, Jesus is saying, you know how those flames were there and they were lit for seven days? Guess what? I'm the light of the world. I never go out. I'm never put out. Follow me and I'll lead you out of darkness into life. Jesus is making this bold claim in the context of this festival. So there's no mistake. The people knew what Jesus was claiming and who he was claiming to be. And I thought, what was like a, what's, a, what's a modern day example I could use? And, and something I thought about was imagine, you know, this morning as we close our service, we sang songs about Jesus. We sang songs praising him. We looked at his word. And imagine if someone just came in here and, and, and as I prayed, they came to the stage and said, Church, thank you so much for praising me this morning. It was so good to hear you sing songs to me. Wow, thank you for that glory. Our, our jaws would drop. You'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. No, that, that's not for you. That was for God. Those songs weren't for you. You're claiming to be God. That's what Jesus was doing with this claim. I, I, I imagine jaws were dropped, both the Pharisees, especially the Pharisees, and even the people. Jesus, you're, you're the light of the world? You, in you there's light? In you there's hope? There's no darkness? So again, we see Jesus making this claim. He's claiming to be God. He's the true light that John the Baptist was bearing witness about in John chapter 1. And I want to end with this, with this last phrase we see in verse 20. It says this, after this claim, it says, but no one arrested Jesus because his hour had not yet come. Throughout John's gospel, this phrase is seen over and over again. In John chapter 2, two times in John chapter 7, two times in John, or one time in John chapter 8, in John 13, I believe in John 14 or 15, we see this phrase, his hour had not yet come. In John's gospel, it's clear that Jesus is on a divine schedule. And as I read that, I can't help but think of the sovereignty of God. In the youth group, we looked at the story of Joseph. And when Joseph was, was, was uh, traded or sold into slavery, at the end when there's reconciliation with his family, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I looked at, the, and I was studying the sovereignty of God that, that nothing can derail God's plan. Nothing can, can mess up what God has already ordained to happen. God is supreme ruler over all. 
If something could mess up God's plan, then something would be more powerful than God. So we see here throughout John's Gospel, Jesus would do things, and, and, and especially in the beginning of John chapter, eight, or John chapter 7, Jesus is going back to the temple, and the disciples are like, Jesus, you can't go there. The Jews are trying to kill you. And he says, my hour has not yet come. I'm going back and I'm preaching. We get to John chapter 13. Actually, I want to say this too. In Luke, we see crowds trying to throw Jesus off a cliff. And I love it. How he gets away is it says, he passes through their midst. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like all the people, they, they had this hatred for Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They got him to the ledge of the cliff. And all of a sudden, they're like, where'd Jesus go? Either Jesus is a really good escape artist or what? He's on a divine schedule and nothing can thwart God's plan. The same thing at the end of this, of this uh, chapter, in John chapter 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees and the people pick up stones and they try to stone Jesus in the temple. And it says he hit himself and he leaves. I'm like, how does he do this? Because God is sovereign. In John 13, as Jesus is about to wash his disciples' feet, we read that his time is coming. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We're reminded that Jesus' hour would come. Right? When he's arrested, he's betrayed, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's spit on, he's whipped, he's nailed to a cross. And on that cross we see what? We see the justice of God and we see God's perfect mercy at once. Jesus Christ carries our sin, our shame, our guilt, and takes the death penalty that's due to us on the cross. He takes the wrath of God. Why? Because sin demands payment. Sin demands death. We're all sinners who demand death. But Jesus bears the full weight of God's judgment. Why? so that we can receive the full weight of his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness. And as we celebrate the Advent season this, this year, and this morning in particular, we looked at hope, we read verses about hope, we sang about hope, we talked a little bit about hope in these verses. I want to end with, with this verse. It's from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5-9. to 9. If you want to listen, you can. If you want to write it down, you can. But this is what we read. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all of our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the encouragement. Here's the hope that we have as, as Christians, as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have hope in Christ, that he's our light to follow in the darkness, that he saved us from our sins. He's saved us. He's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light that he's given us eternal life. In him there's no darkness, and he gives light, the light of life. And I have to say this, because if I don't, I'm not, not doing a good job, but if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible's also clear. It says that you're in darkness. So I urge, I cry, I urge you to cry out, repent from sins, proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior, to follow him and to be saved. 
as I was studying the book of Acts and reading through it with my wife, it took us a little longer than, than we wanted to, and it was mainly my fault, but it's clear that just how the, the apostles did evangelism, it wasn't shallow, it wasn't surfacy. They weren't saying, can you please, please give Jesus a try? Just, just, try, just try him out, please. He loves you so much. Over and over again, the apostles were saying, repent. <laughs> Or you're facing God's wrath, God's judgment. And that's a gospel truth. So as yes, Christians, we have hope that Jesus is the light of the world. He's our light. In him there's eternal life. But I hope that that can help fuel us as we look and as, as those who are in the darkness, they're still facing God's judgment. Right? Jesus faced it on our behalf already on the cross. In him, we've been transferred from darkness to light. And my hope and prayer is that even as we leave, we can reflect God's goodness and light to others and be a light to others. Why? Because it matters. Without Jesus, they don't know God. They're, face, they're, they're facing God's wrath and judgment. So again, my prayer is that we can, can urge them to cry out to Jesus, to repent and to follow him. And I just want to say one thing. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's not talking about a half-hearted follower. He's not looking for people who are on the edge of the darkness and are like, okay, I, uh, I need Jesus' help here. Okay, uh, Jesus, I'll follow you now. And then, okay, you know, I'll go back to what I want to do over here and I'll go back, oh, the darkness is creeping. Oh, Jesus, I'm over here. Jesus, uh, uh, I need you. He's looking for us to be all in and following him, that he's our Lord, he's our Savior. We're obedient to his word. We are in love with his word. We love him and we follow him. So again, Jesus is not looking for half-hearted followers. He's looking for us to be all in to follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that even as we just looked at it today, that you are the light of the world, that we can have our hope and our trust and our faith in you. We thank You, Lord, that You have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that in You there's forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, I just pray that we remember who we follow. We remember that You are our Savior. That You are worthy of all our praise. That You are worthy of all the glory. I pray that even as we leave, that we can be light to others. That we can reflect You, the true light, and be sought in light to those around because they're in darkness. So Lord, I just pray that we can keep our hope in you, that we know that you are faithful and true. And Lord, I just pray that during this Advent season, we can draw closer to you and fall more in love with you and your word. Jesus, we thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.